0: invite you to take your scriptures and turn back to that Luke chapter 22 passage, verses 31 through 34. What comes to your mind when you hear the phrase, you have commitment issues, possibly a romantic relationship that is on the border of getting serious? And so when that happens, you need to have what is often called the DTR talk. Are you familiar with that phrase? DTR means define the relationship. And you have to do that because you have to understand the level of commitment in that relationship. So you want to see, if you're dating someone in particular, where things stand and what it is that you have. Is the relationship serious? Is the commitment real? Now, obviously... For those of you who are starting out in the dating world, this is not the kind of talk you have on your first date, in case you didn't know that. But down the road, if you're dating for a while and you think you're getting kind of serious, uh, you want to see where the relationship is going. So pretty much, eventually, every relationship has the DTR talk. It's absolutely necessary. And you ask, is the relationship casual or is it committed? Have things moved past the infatuation or the admiration stage to be more like devotion and dedication? Kyle Eidelman puts it this way Picture your mind, in your mind, Jesus invites you out to a coffee shop. Now, he didn't say which one. I'm thinking Dunkin' Donuts because Jesus would not go to Starbucks. <laughs> but you're out to a coffee shop. And you order a pastry and a latte, and you sit down, and Jesus walks in, and of course Jesus already has a cup of coffee, and you know why, because, you know, Jesus makes his own coffee. You know how he does it. He brews it. He brews? (laughs) Okay, never mind. All right. So Jesus sits down with his cup of coffee with you at the table, and You know, he kind of skips right over the small talk, which is a little surprised. And he gets right to the point of why he met you there today. And he looks you straight in the eye and he says this He says, and he mentions your name, it's time we define the relationship. See, what he wants to know, and perhaps can I say why he brought you here this morning? He wants to know is your commitment to him real? Is it casual? Or is it committed? What's really, honestly, what's the level of your commitment? And see, that's the kind of talk that we have the we're able to just listen in on in Luke 22. And that's the kind of talk that Peter, Jesus is having with Peter, who's his number one disciple. Now, for three and a half years, if you read the gospels. Peter and Jesus have had a rabbi-discipleship relationship, and that relationship over the time, and I'm going to show you in the progress of Luke's gospel, is growing. Luke chapter 5, you know, starts off Jesus and Peter, and it's kind of a rocky start, because Jesus says, hey, I know you haven't caught anything all night when you're fishing, but just cast on the other side, and he says, at your word, Lord, and He doesn't believe him, but then he catches all these fish and he says, oh Lord, depart from me. I'm such a sinful man. But the Bible says Jesus calls him anyways and here's how it ends. They left everything and followed him. And that was the beginning of Peter's commitment to Jesus. A few chapters later in chapter nine, uh, Jesus has been with his disciples a while and he asked them, who do men say that I am? And they give a number of Old Testament examples of who Jesus is like. And then he asked them, personally, but who do you think I am? And Peter's famous confession is, well, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Later in that passage, Jesus goes up on what we call the Mount of Transfiguration, and all of his divine glory is displayed, but not in front of all the disciples, but James and John and Peter is there. I mean, he's been invited into Jesus's inner circle Chapter 18 of Luke, uh, Jesus is talking to the rich young ruler who wants to follow Jesus, but he can't because money has got a hold of his heart and he won't let it go. And so when Jesus says, sell everything you have, the guy doesn't. And he walks away from Jesus very sorrowful because of the hold money has on him. But Peter in return says, Lord, we haven't walked away and we have left everything to follow you. Reminding Jesus of the commitment that he's made. We get to the climax of it all in Luke 22, right, in our passage, and it's the Passover meal, and Jesus walks around before the, at the, you know, the middle of the meal, and he starts washing the disciples' feet, and he gets to Peter, and Peter says, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet, you know, I don't, I don't you know, you're not going to get down and be the servant to me, not, that's not happening. And Jesus says, if I don't wash you, I have no part with you. And Peter says, oh, you know how he is. Peter says, well, if that's true, wash my hands, my feet, my head. In other words, Jesus, have all of me. Now, you watch the progression in Luke's gospel of Jesus' relationship with Peter, and you think to yourself, when you get to our chapter, why does Jesus have to have the DTR talk with Peter? I mean, he's number one disciple. He's following Jesus. I mean, look at the growth, the progression of commitment in Peter's life. What is is there to talk about? I mean, isn't it completely unnecessary for Peter and Jesus to have this talk? And the answer to that is not at all. See, Peter still has commitment issues, as we're gonna see in this text. And I want you to see this, and so do we, and so do we. See, you might be here this morning, but, and you might be looking at this text with me, but you're like Peter, and you don't really understand where you truly are in your commitment to Jesus, and here's why. Because you are not committed to Jesus as much as you think you are, because you are not conformed to Jesus as much as you think you are. See, it's possible this morning that Jesus brought you here and he wants to have the DTR talk with you. And you say, but why would that be, Pastor Walker? Because I've been saved for years. I mean, I know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. You know, and and when I got saved, I dropped all my old friends. And I dropped my old lifestyle. And I don't do those things anymore. I don't hang out with those people. And I come to the services. Obviously, I'm here this morning. I tithe my, my money. I'm involved in a ministry. I read my Bible and pray. Hey, I'm not perfect and I'm not maybe as consistent as I probably should be, but you know where I am. See, you have to read this text and ask what if Jesus doesn't see your commitment to him like you see it? What if you have overestimated your commitment level to Jesus? Peter did. And he was his number one disciple. See, overestimating ourselves isn't uncommon, is it? In fact, we've all seen it. People who are absolutely convinced that they're doing really, really well at their job and then they get fired. Now, people who actually are mediocre at best and sometimes much worse but think that they are far better than that. I mean, I'm gonna ace this test and they get an F. Employees at their job think they're getting a promotion and then they get laid off. PhD David Dunning says this, and I quote People overestimate themselves. But more than that, they really seem to believe it. I've been trying to figure out where that certainty of belief comes from. You know where it comes from? Watch American Idol. Have you seen them? I'm going to win this contest. You can't hold a tune. You can't even stay on. You can't. You can't even do anything with it. I'm going to win this contest. You couldn't win any contest. It's not, but they think they're going to win. And they start singing and you go, oh, stop. But they think they're, um, they way overestimate themselves. I mean, it, it's part of the fun of the show. I mean, it's more fun than the other part. But it's watching people believe that they're really, really good, and then the judges, even the judges have to make fun of them sometimes. See, we overestimate ourselves. See, the, David Dunning says, the least competent performers inflate their abilities the most. And he figures, he says, here's why. It's a combination of ignorance and Arrogance. They're missing something and they're ignorant of it. And what they do have, they way overestimate because they're arrogant. He says this, they are not good or accurate when it comes to self-assessment. So let's compare, ready, Peter's self-assessment on his commitment and Jesus' assessment of Peter. Verse 20, 31, Simon, Simon Today we would say this, when your mom got really mad at you when you are growing up and you were really disobeying, she would say your, fir, your full name, William Lance Walker. When, you know, when she says your full name, you stop what you're doing because you know you are in deep trouble. Simon, Simon. And then he follows it up with, behold, they're attention getters. See, here's what Jesus wants to do for Peter and for you this morning. I know you think you're committed. I know that you really think you're conformed. To what I'm like. You're not. And let me get your, let me call your name. Let me say your name. Simon, now all throughout scripture, when you get the double vocative, when you get your name repeated in a row, Abraham, Abraham. Moses, Moses. Martha, Martha. Saul, Saul. Simon, Simon. It's a monumental, life-changing event takes place when anyone's name is repeated. See, maybe Jesus is saying your name, and he, get your, he wants you to listen this morning, because he wants to tell you something about yourself. And in this case, he says, behold, Satan has demanded you, and it's a very strong word. In other words, he's demanding. See, listen, Satan is totally committed to ruining your total commitment to Jesus. And see, you walk around, and we often walk around too often, and we're ignorant of that. We're ignorant of how much he's attacking us and the things in our life that he's putting in our way. You know why? He doesn't want you to be totally committed. He doesn't want... So Jesus says, behold, Satan wants to put you, Peter, in his sifter. He wants to sift you like... A sifter was a a mechanism that separated the wheat from the chaff. Satan wants to separate... Those who are casually committed and those who are totally committed, and he's going to come after you. He doesn't want you. He wants you to play like you're committed. He wants you to live like you're a little committed, that you have a little Bible study, a little prayer, that you do some ministry, that you show up once in a while to a service, and you're not that bad, and you try to keep away from being overly immoral. See, he wants you to play the game. He wants you to kind of feel good about yourself. All the while, he knows your commitment level really isn't anything to worry about. So we overestimate self because we underestimate Satan. See, we do. See, this morning, maybe some of you have felt the sifter. And he's putting things into your life. He's putting people into your life. Situations, diagnosis, losses hardships, maybe really, really good things, pleasurable things, people and popularity. See, he's putting them into your life. You know why? Because he wants to distract you or destroy your faith. See, Jesus says to Peter, he wants to sift you, and he's going to. He says, but Peter, I have to pray that your faith doesn't fail. That's how far from committed to me you are. But, but, Peter's response, see, Jesus says, Here's my assessment of you. You're about to have a total lapse of commitment. Peter thinks this. No, 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 not me, Lord. He says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. That's a joke. Peter says, You're wrong, Jesus, about my level of commitment. Peter says, in reality, I can handle anything Satan throws at me. Have you ever thought that? Well, probably not. Maybe inside, but you never say it outside, right? Oh, Lord, I, I know I'm not supposed to marry lost people, but I can handle dating this lost guy, even though he holds none of my convictions or not even my morality, but I can handle it. See, I, I, can, handle, I can handle being on the internet for long periods of time when no one else is around. See, I can handle that. It's a joke. See, I I can handle my job and the pressures of it, and see, wanting to get up the ladder and make the money, I can handle all that pressure. See, I can handle having this person or that person as my friend, and although I know, Lord, where they're headed and what they're like and the language, and I know, see, but I can still be really close friends with them, and we think we're committed, and we're not. And that's why Simon, Simon, behold, Satan. See, we overestimate self because we underestimate Satan. Why do we do that? Why do we do it? Why are you doing that this morning? There's two reasons the text gives us, and I want to just look at both of them quickly. The first reason is this, because we measure our commitment to Jesus without including a cross. If you look at the other passages in the other gospel, Matthew 26 and Mark 14, you'll find that these words are said of Peter in response to Jesus' words, not just to Peter, but all the disciples. Listen, it says, you will all fall away because of me tonight, Jesus says. And the word fall away is the word scandalon. It's we get our English word scandal from. Jesus says, when they arrest me tonight, and they lead me away and they're going to go and crucify me on a cross this is going to scandalize you see 1 Corinthians 123 Paul writes to the Jews the cross was a scandal on to have the Messiah, the Christ of the Old Testament that was promised to come deliver his people, that he would not be all-powerful and ride in on a horse and wipe everything out, but instead would be weak and seem powerless and die on a cross, it was scandalous to the Jewish mind. Peter couldn't grasp a kind of Messiah that would power under and lose his life. That's not what he wanted. It's not what he expected so, Peter says to Jesus, though all of them fall away, although they're, they're, everybody else, all these other disciples, are going to be scandalized, I will never follow. I'll never be scandalized by you. But he was. In fact, he probably didn't remember, but he had already been scandalized earlier in Matthew's gospel. Remember I told you when Jesus was asking, Who do you think I am? And after he tells them, Peter, you're right, I am the Christ. He tells him what that means. He fills in the identity definition of what it means to be the Messiah. And he says this, that I'm gonna be taken to Jerusalem and they're gonna beat me and scourge me and kill me and on the third day I'll rise. Peter says to that, Lord, this shall never happen happen to you. And the word never is a double negative. it's, a, it's God, this will never, ne, Simon, Simon, never, never. See, he's saying as strong, Jesus, you're never going to die. You're not going to go on a cross. That's not going to happen to you because it scandalized people, Peter to even think that way. And by the end of that little passage in Luke Matthew 16, Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, because you are a Same word, scandal to me. See, the cross is a scandal, and Satan is a scandal. And the reason Satan is a scandal, because he doesn't want us to have a cross in our lives. He didn't want Jesus to have one either. That's why, see, Peter was denying Jesus three times. Jesus was tempted to deny God three times when Satan came to him and said, by the way, I can give you all the kingdoms of the world, and you don't have to go to a cross. See, here's Satan's attack. Ready? It's insidious. You can follow Jesus and feel committed to him without ever having a cross in your life. That's what Satan promised Jesus. But see, Jesus said no. Peter said yes. What about you? See, we have this idea that Jesus' cross was for our sin, but there is no cross for us. See, there is no cross for us. And what you find in the Bible And what you find in this gospel is the closer Peter gets to the cross of Jesus, the farther Peter gets from his commitment to Jesus. See, close to the cross, farther from being committed. It should be the other way around, but it's not. And so here's the description, same passage, Luke 22, a little further down, verse 54. Here's what it says of Peter. He followed, discipleship term, at a distance. I believe that was literally true. He didn't get too close to who the action was. But I also believe it was spiritually true. See, after he denies Jesus three times, it says, and he went out and wept bitterly. And you know in Matthew's gospel, after these two, and he followed at a distance, he went out and left altogether... You know what? We never see Peter or hear of him the remainder of the entire gospel. He is never mentioned. He is not at the cross. He doesn't come in this gospel. He doesn't cut the barrel. He's not mentioned, although he is in the other gospel. But Matthew wants to say see, he's not there because he was scandalized. He didn't want to be near the cross. He didn't show up at the cross because he knew what it might cost him to do it. Total commitment. And total conformity to Jesus always includes a cross. Always. Because total commitment is not just total conformity, hear me, it is total cruciformity. And by that I mean this, it is not just being like Jesus in his life, it is like being Jesus in his death. When are you scandalized by the cross? When you fall at a distance. Have you ever heard of cost-benefit analysis? Cost-benefit analysis is asking yourself, is the reward I get worth the risk that I'm gonna take? That's cost-benefit analysis, but there's also cross-benefit analysis. Peter said this, hmm, is the reward I get from following Jesus, will that be enough that I would take the risk of being caught like him, and dying like him. And at first he said absolutely. But when it came, push came to shove, it wasn't. See, all of us this morning, if you're going to follow Jesus and be his disciple, if you're going to pledge total commitment to him, see, you have to do a cross-benefit analysis. You have to say, listen, if I follow Jesus and I get close to his cross, what if the things that happened to him happen to me? What if I lose my rights? What if I look weak? What if I have to give up things? What if it costs me, see? What if it costs me family and I'm not invited to things anymore? What if it costs me friends and relationships of people that were close to me and now they don't want to be any part of me? What if it costs me fun? Well, you know what, I can't, you know, if I follow Jesus that close, maybe there'll things I won't be able to do anymore. Maybe it'll cost me financially. And we begin to make the analysis, don't we? You know, I love Jesus and I'm glad he died for me on a cross, but me dying on a cross, that's a lot to ask. See, the benefits are great as long as there's no cross involved. Fanny Crosby, a hymn writer of a previous century, wrote a hymn called Near the Cross. The third stanza goes like this. Near the cross, O Lamb of God, bring its scenes before me. Help me walk from day to day with its shadow o'er me. With its shadow o'er me. Is there a cross shadow over your married life? Remember, it's walk day to day. Do you have a cross in your marriage? Because husbands are supposed to love their wives sacrificially, just like Christ loved the church and gave himself. See, there's a cross in your... Is there a cross shadow in your marriage? Is there a cross shadow over what you watch and won't watch on the internet, movies, YouTube? Is there a cross shadow over your morality? See, do your convictions about what is right and wrong and pure and impure and holy and unholy, do those come from the cross, from the scriptures? A cross shadow over what you wear... The music you listen to, the movies you watch, the language you use, your priorities, your calendars, what matters most to you, who gets your time and see, are all those, is there a shadow of the cross over all of those things? See, here's what the question is. Are you cross close? Are you cross close or do you kind of like, "Mm, I need to stay at a little bit more of a distance than that because if I get too much more close, it'll cost me, it'll cost me. Peter says, Lord, I'm ready. He wasn't. Paul says, same phrase, Acts 21, 13, I'm ready. They both say, both, by the way, instances are both recorded by Luke. Here's what Paul says, I'm ready to follow you to prison to death. Almost identical phraseology. Peter wasn't ready. Paul was ready. What's the difference? I can tell you. It's the place of the cross in their lives. Peter was pre-cross, Paul was post-cross. If you read Paul's writings, there was a shadow of the cross over everything in that man's life. 11 times in the New Testament, outside the Gospels, the word cross is used, and Paul uses every one of them. Crucify or crucify, that word is used 14 times. 10 out of the 14 are used by Paul. You know why? Because he got it. He put the cross at the center of his life. There was a shadow over everything in his life, everything in his life. See, it controlled everyone and everything in his life. Jesus, in Luke 14, verses 25 through 33, don't turn there, just listen. Three times he makes this statement. You cannot be my disciple. Now there are three things that he lists. The reasons why you can't be his disciple if you're not... Here's the three. First one is, you can't be my disciple if you don't hate your family and your brothers and sisters and brothers and your own life also. In other words, he doesn't mean actually hate. He means hate in comparison to how much you love me. In other words, if I'm not first in all of your relationships, and it's not obvious, you can't be my disciple. Second one is this. If you don't bear your own cross... You can't be my, thirdly, he says, if you don't renounce all that you have, now you, listen, those are three ways of saying the same thing, because what's the same in all those sentences is you can't be my disciple, so hear me, bearing your cross, if you want to figure out what it means, put a cross in your commitment, here's what it means, you can't have anybody before him. The cross controls everyone in your life. You know what else it means? You have to renounce all that you have. So Jesus control, your commitment to Jesus controls everyone and everything. See, that's what Jesus is looking for. That's the measure of total commitment. The cross is not just a place of past salvation. It is a place of present sanctification in your life. The cross is not to be relegated only to, oh, I'm on my way to heaven. No, it affects how you live on earth. It is both. And if it is not both, you're not committed. So the first reason is that we're overestimate ourselves and underestimate Satan. Why? Because we have no cross in our commitment. Number two, lastly, It's because instead of comparing ourselves to Jesus, we compare ourselves to others. In those texts, Matthew, Mark, here's what it says. Peter says, everyone else will fall away and be scandalized. Ready? I will never be scandalized. Them, yes, me, never. He says it again. They they may all deny you, double negative, I will never deny you. Didn't you learn growing up, never say never? Obviously, Peter didn't. And Peter overestimated his commitment to Jesus. You know why? Because when he should have been comparing himself to Jesus, he was comparing himself to other disciples. Have you ever done that? If you've been on Facebook, you have. Facebook is about people constantly looking at other people's lives and saying, oh, wow, look at them, now look at me. Have you done it as a Christian? You go on Facebook and people say stuff and you go, seriously? I might say that in my mind, but are you kidding that you posted that? And they post this stuff and you say to myself, I would never say that. And, and you go, like, you did what? And they tell you what they did. You did that and you posted it. And you say, you, you look at them and you go, like, look what they're wearing. Look where they went. I can't believe you went there and you tell people. You bought that. You hang around with that. You see, you look at people's, and you compare yourself, and you know what you say? Lord, I'd never wear that. I'd never do that. I'd never go there. Are you kidding? I would never say that. I'll never do that, Lord. Sound familiar? You hear about somebody in the news, a sports figure, a celebrity, a political political figure, and they make some unbelievably crazy, awful, racist comment. They are caught in some financially unethical scheme. They are morally deviant in ways that are just shouldn't be repeated. And you think to yourself, oh my Lord, what a terrible world we live in. I can't believe people. Well, I would never do that. You read about some well known Christian who's been a leader for a long time, involved in a scandal caught in some sort of sin they disgrace their family they disgrace their ministry and you would say oh my how in the world could you be that close to god and i I would never do that the problem is we would because we compare ourselves to others and you know what it does when you do that it gives you a false confidence you're fil- Remember what he said? Ignorance and arrogance. Those are the two enemies. And see, we get arrogant. We get proud. We get to think, oh, yeah, you do that, not me. Oh, yeah, Lord, look at them. Look how they, they don't even show up for Sunday night. They don't even do that. You know, and God, I, I am so here for all of this. And Lord, I am so much more committed, we think. And we compare ourselves to others, and it fools us into thinking that we're really conformed to Jesus. We're really like him way more than we really are. John 13, and I close. Another rendition of Peter's denial. In John 13, 36 through 38, Jesus is talking with Peter, and Peter says, and here's the words in this text he used, Lord, I will lay down my life for you. Do you know, that's Jesus' phrase. In John 10, a few chapters earlier, four different times, verses 11, 15, 16, 17, here's what he says. I will lay down my life for the sheep. I will be totally committed. I will give my, that's Jesus' words. And Peter knows it. And what he's telling him is, Jesus, see, you said you'd lay down your life for us, and I would do the same, because I'm just like you. And that's the desire of every disciple, isn't it? That's Jesus-level commitment, But here's what Jesus says question form. Will you, Peter? Will you, same phrase, will you lay down your life for me? See, Peter, you can't die die for me because you will not even stop from denying me. Die or deny, they are worlds apart. Peter thought he was so close to being like Jesus, and the truth was, he wasn't like him. Not on that level. Instead of total commitment, he became a total failure. Why? He overestimated himself. Ignorance and arrogance teamed together to bring him down. But I'm so thankful this morning that's not how John's gospel ends. Because Jesus comes to Peter on the shore and has breakfast with him and asks him three times for the three denials, do you love me, Peter? And he had to said, you know I love you, Lord. And the third time, it broke him because he says, you know, Lord, you know I love you, but I don't love you the best. I don't, I'm not committed in it. And Peter says, to, Jesus says to Peter, feed my ship. L- listen, you know what Jesus says to him? I still believe, Peter, you can be like me. See, this morning you're here and you say, Jesus, I'm not, I, I, Pastor, I'm not like Jesus. I, I, I'm not totally committed. I'm not totally conformed. And you know, after this morning, I'm a lot further away than I possibly thought I could be. And, and, and Lord, what do I do? Here's what you do. You get broken over it. You tell Jesus this morning, I'm not all of that. And people think I am on the, out, but I'm not all of that. And Jesus says, I forgive you. Come and follow me again, because with my help, I believe that you can be like me. See, he's committed to us when we're not committed to him. He's waiting this morning. He brought you here for the DTR talk, and he wants to know this Are you really committed to me? If not, come back this morning. Come back, because I still believe in you. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around. Did Jesus bring you here this morning for the DTR talk? What about your relationship with him? Are you as committed and conformed as you think you are? Maybe there's a big difference. Maybe instead of, I'll die for you, you're denying him. Maybe not with your words, but with your walk. Maybe not publicly, but privately. Faith Baptist Church, we need an army of people who will be on the trajectory and the path of total commitment because they want to be totally conformed. They really want to be like Jesus. And you say, Pastor Walker, I've blown it. If you only knew, I'm too far away. No, you're not. No, you're not. And Jesus brought you here this morning because he wants to have breakfast with you. He wants to sit down and have a cup of coffee with you and he wants to tell you, I still believe you can be like me. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, would there be one this morning who would say, Pastor Walker, I know him, but I'm not committed to him as much as I thought. Please pray for me because I believe he believes in me. Would you just slip your hand up and put it back down, please? Please. Thank you, thank you, many hands, thank you balconies, thank you. Maybe you're here this morning. You'd say, Pastor Walker, I'm not totally committed because I'm not totally converted. I don't know him. I know about him, and I'm religious. And I, I I like to have God in my life if there's an emergency, but to really follow him, to have a cross, to surrender and dedicate my life to him, to know that my sins are forgiven through his death and resurrection. I don't know, I don't have that confidence. You can. Would there be anyone this morning with every head bowed and every closed say, Pastor Walker, here's my hand. I need to give my life to Jesus fully first. I, I just need to give my life to him and know him and receive the forgiveness of sins that only comes in his name. Pray for me that I might know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Here's my hand, and I'll do that this morning. Would you slip it up, and I'll pray for you in just a moment. Anyone else? Anyone? Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Enjoying this. Would you just put your hand, I need to know Jesus. I need to know him. Father, you see in the hearts of believers today who are honest with themselves, they're not as committed and they're not as conformed as they thought they were. And truthfully, to some degree, my master, that's all of us, including me. Help us. Help us because of your great love to love you back not to earn your favor, but because you've given it to us in Jesus. And I pray for those who raise their hand and this morning you'd break their heart to those things that break your heart. Father, I pray for the one who indicated they need to come to know you as their Lord and Savior. May you move them by your Holy Spirit that they might be born again, even this day, until a living hope. And we'll praise you and bless your holy name for it's through Christ we ask it. Amen.